say it's so good to see you here. I'm Dwayne Arledge, associate pastor here at Fellowship, and I'm filling in for Pastor Charlie this weekend. As you probably already have observed, we this is communion weekend at Fellowship, and today uh, we want the whole uh, sermon and everything we do from here to the end of the service to focus around the communion table, the Lord's table. I pray, I hope that all of us walk away from the service today with a stronger understanding in our hearts as well as our minds of what it means to come to the Lord's table at communion time. I recall as a kid when my mom would call us to dinner and we had like two different families. There were six kids, all one mom and dad, but, but like the older, older three you know, they, by the time I got any age, they were gone and, and out, uh, you know, after high school and they were in college or in married or working or whatever. So there was like two families, the first three and the second three, because my parents just kind of kept having little oopses every few years for six kids. They had two 18 months apart, and then about every five years it would be like, oops, another one. And so we, they, they raised children all their lives. But I remember the last three, my older brother Gary, myself, my younger brother, Mike, and it would be, uh, Gary, Dwayne, Michael, come to the table, because she'd already said dinner a couple of times, and we would keep doing what we'd been doing, but I remember that, come to the table. That was the precise, clear call, and we knew it was time then. There was a time when Jesus gave that kind of a call to the 12, the apostles. Now, it wasn't because they had been dilly-dallying like we were as kids, but he gave them a call to come to the table because Every good Jewish person came to the table, and that table was, once a year, Passover table. And so uh, there's, a, there's a story that I want us to follow today. It's out of Matthew 26 and Luke 22. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to challenge you to take your time and read both of those stories, and if you'll mesh those two together, you get a picture of that Passover that often we call the Last Supper that Jesus had with the Twelve. But he called them together. It was very intentional timing. It was the week before. Most think the night before he was to be crucified. And so he called them together to have that Passover meal. They had asked him, Lord, where are we going to eat the Passover meal? Because they'd all pretty much given up their homes and had been following Jesus in an itinerant, traveling around kind of fashion for the three years they were together. And Jesus assured them, I've made provision. And he sent Peter and John into this town to find the man who had given them an upper room so they could have the Passover meal together. And Peter and John were to make the provisions, prepare the meal. And so when they all got there, Jesus and the other ten, then he began to tell them, you know, how it was going to happen. And I think there's some interesting things right at the beginning that should have, and we, we don't have a record in Scripture uh, what, what impact it had on the, the 12 apostles, but this should have given them a clue that this was going to be different than every other Passover they had ever celebrated in their lives, and they had celebrated one every year of their lives, being good Jewish men. In Luke chapter 22, it says this. You can follow on the screens, beginning at verse 14. When the hour had come, and there was a specific hour. It wasn't just whenever you choose. It was a specific hour, twilight, evening, around 6 p.m. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table. That's the way they ate, and, he, and the apostles with him. 
And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Let's pause there a moment. Earnestly desired. Let me give you, as I look into the Greek words, which the New Testament was originally written in, the, the phrase here is, I have set my heart on eating this Passover with you. Now, that's different than, hey, i kind of been looking forward to this. Jesus had set his heart on it, and if Jesus, the God of the universe, sets his heart on something, it's going to come to pass. And then he said, with you before I suffer. He had told them many times that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, he was going to go away. Each time it caused them great concern, but he reminded them before I suffer. And then he says, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it, and implied here in parentheses would be again, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is the last time on this earth that I'm going to eat this Passover with you until all of you are in heaven with me and we have that final, and the, the book of Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb of God. So right up front, they should have known something different about this Passover than every other Passover. So now let's understand Passover a little bit. And in, in fact, in order to understand the communion table, we need to understand a Passover but in order to understand Passover, we need to back up hundreds of years to when the Israelites were captives, were slaves in Egypt. So they were in Egypt for 430 years as slaves. They were making bricks. They were doing manual labor. They were basically building up Pharaoh's kingdom. It was worth millions, billions of whatever of dollars annually for Egypt, for Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And God came to Moses, after Moses had left Egypt, God came to Moses 40 years later and said, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh that he is to let the Israelites leave Egypt and go to the land of Canaan, what the Bible calls the promised land. And so Moses, quite reluctantly, of course, Moses chose to do that finally after God convinced him. He and his brother Aaron go, and they tell Pharaoh, God said, let the Israelites go. Now, Pharaoh's answer was, hmm, I'm not so inclined to do that. That's worth millions and billions of dollars to me every year, and that's just a crazy suggestion. So, God had promised that he would, he would take care of getting Pharaoh's attention. They began a series of what was called the plagues. And there were infestation of lice, there was infestation of flies, of gnats, of locusts. They uh, turned the water, all the water in Egypt to blood. Uh, just a lot of things that should have gotten anybody's attention. And Pharaoh would say, okay, okay, you can go. And then he would say, no, change my mind. Yes, you can. No, you can't. For nine of those plagues. And then God came to Moses and said, Here's what you tell the people of Israel. On the 10th day of this month, they are to take a lamb, a perfect lamb. They're to bring it into their home, take extremely good care of it, special care of it for four days. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, around 6 p.m., at twilight, they're to kill that lamb. 
That is the Passover lamb. They're to kill that lamb. Then they are to keep the blood in a container. And they're not to roast it with the blood, but they're to drain all the blood from this animal. As gory as that sounds, there's a purpose here. And they're to roast the lamb. They're to bake the bread. Don't bother putting yeast in the bread. There won't be time for you to wait for the yeast to rise because you must be in a hurry. You must be ready. So, so don't even put yeast in the bread. So you bake unleavened bread, which today you can buy. It's called matzah. It's a thin cracker-like bread. It's just flour and water. That's what they were to make. And you roast the lamb, and you're to eat this meal in your homes. Do not go outside your homes. Eat this meal in your homes with your cloak, with your clothing wrapped around you tightly, with your sandals laced tightly on your feet. They never would have come into their home and left their sandals on. They would have pulled those off, washed their feet. But he says, leave your sandals tied tightly on because you're going to be leaving. Get your walking stick or your staff. Have it in your hand while you eat this meal. Now, how odd is that to be sitting there fully clothed, ready for a trek, and having your staff in your hand, and you're trying to eat your meal of this unleavened bread and this roasted lamb. Oh, and by the way, before the evening begins, before you go into your house to stay for the evening until God tells you you can come out, you are to take hyssop, it's a bush, Take the, a branch of that with the leaves, dip it in the blood, brush it on the side of your doorpost, the other side of your doorpost, and on the lintel, the top of the door. Brush plenty of that blood on those three places, and then enter your home with your family, close the door, stay inside, and observe the Passover meal, fully clothed, ready to go at a moment's notice. They did that. See, this time God was saying to them, Unlike the other plagues, what is about to happen will bring about your release from the land of Egypt. So they go in their homes. They do as they're told, all of the Israelites. They brush that blood over their doorposts, and they're inside. They, they observe the meal, and then by faith they wait. And God had said, I'll send the death angel over the land of Egypt, and all of the Israelites who have this blood over their door in those three places I will have the death angel pass over them. And I will have the death angel kill the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And he told them that this meal was to be a perpetual thing for the children of Israel. As long as there was life, they were to do this Passover meal. So he was telling them in advance, I'm going to make this happen. So he set it up as an observance annually. In fact, God told Moses to tell them this is called the Lord's Passover before they'd ever observed it, and you're to do it perpetually. So at midnight, a great grief-stricken cry arose all through Egypt because in every family, the firstborn had been immediately struck dead. Pharaoh called Moses and said, take these people leave. Now, he later changed his mind, but that's another story. They were already gone. And you, you may know about the Red Sea where it collapsed on them and all of that. But the, the short story is God got Israel out of Egypt on that night. So every year, they would celebrate the Lord's Passover. And there were several elements, and it, and it grew as tradition uh, 
you know, tradition kind of grew as the years went by. The Passover meal had certain foods. There were certain stories that were told every year. And there were certain elements if there were children in the home where you were to interact with the children and, the, and to make sure the children understood the story of bondage in Egypt and the escape and the Lord's Passover. So on the, on the plate... There are several elements on the plate. I won't go into all of them, but some critical ones are these. There was the bread, the matzah, and they call it, and to this day call it, the bread of affliction because they had to eat that quickly. They didn't have time, and it reminds them of the fact that they were under affliction in Egypt. There are vegetables on the, on the plate that are dipped in salt water, and they call the salt water bitter tears because that, the, that bitter tears remind them of the bitter tears their forefathers and, and uh, families cried for years in bondage. Then there are bitter herbs that they eat that, that remind them of how the Egyptians made their lives bitter. And then there's the telling of the story, all woven all through the meal, the telling of the story that we were slaves, now we're free, the telling of the ten plagues where they dipped their finger and a cup of wine, and if, as they talk about the first plague, they fling their finger at, uh, to the empty plate, and it, and it puts spatters uh, wine, and when you finish telling the story of all the plagues, it looks like your plate is spattered with blood. So there are some vivid pictures in this, and, and the, the, of course, a key element for a Passover meal is the Passover lamb. And it's not to be eaten with the blood. Of course, they no longer uh, put it over their doorposts, but they tell the story. The lamb is roasted without the blood. The blood is, of course, drained. And then they tell the story of why there is no blood left in the lamb before they roast it. And so they understand what the Lord's Passover meant in Egypt. And then at this Passover meal, there's been added since that first one in Egypt, there has been added four cups of wine uh, throughout the, the many years. And these four cups of wine come out of a promise God made to Israel in Exodus chapter 6. Let's read it together. I'll read it. You listen. Verse 5, Exodus chapter 6, God said to Moses, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant, the covenant with Abraham, with the people of Israel. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I'm in control. I will, here's the first statement, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So in front of the host, there are four cups, the host of this Passover meal. And the first one early in the meal, they, they reference this statement, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The second cup that is a little later in the meal, they use this statement, I will deliver you from slavery to them. And then after the meal, there's a third cup, and they say this third statement, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God will reach his arm out and get them with great acts of judgment. That is the plagues he, he put on uh, Egypt. And then the fourth cup at the end of the meal is the fourth statement, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I'm the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So everything is going along normally. And they have their first cup of wine, and Jesus leads in that. And then a little ways into this, we don't know which uh, time of the bread, 
but there's a time when they speak about the bread of affliction. And Jesus takes the bread at that point in the meal, and he says basically this. This is no longer about the bread of affliction of our forefathers. This is my body. My body will take the affliction for all sin of the whole world. And this is all about to happen in just a few days. And then he says, now, this is my body, which is given for you. Take, eat. Listen, that changed everything for those disciples. Then they went through the meal, and after the meal, the third cup. They were about to take that cup. The host, Jesus, would take the third cup. The others would refill their cup for the third time and take that and say the statement, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And Jesus said, this cup is the brand new covenant. I'm not throwing away the covenant with Abraham. I'm not getting rid of the people of Israel. But I am superseding that with a brand new covenant. You don't need the Passover lamb because I am about to shed my blood once for all and you will never, ever again need to kill a Passover lamb because I am the Lamb of God and I will give my life. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus turned Passover into communion. Those disciples could never, ever go back to the old. They would be forever in the new covenant. Okay, I think that gives us enough of a picture so we can go to the New Testament now. 1 Corinthians 11. All of you who are note takers, and I hope that's everyone. If you're a note taker, get ready to take notes because we have several blanks to fill in that will answer questions about communion and the communion table. Uh, if you take notes, you can take notes on the hard copy that you received coming in or on version. however you take notes on your device, whatever you're using. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the New Testament. And it's not the story in the Gospels, but it's later the Apostle Paul teaching and helping a church in the city of Corinth understand the changes from Passover to communion. He'd already taught them before, but he's reminding them once again because they need reminding just like all of us do. And he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, what I've already taught you before, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, that third cup, where they say, I I will redeem you. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Out of that passage of Scripture and a few other verses, I would like for us to answer three questions today. The first question is this. What is communion? And we have two very simple answers, but very important answers. What is communion? The first answer is this. It is a symbolic observance. You see, it's not a literal, physical observance. When Jesus said, this is my body, they didn't 
get all upset and think, oh my, he just turned that into his flesh because he passed the, the matzo bread to each of them to eat. He didn't turn it into his flesh, but symbolically, just, just as in the Passover, everything in the whole Passover meal was symbolic. Uh, they, would, they would dip the vegetables in the bitter tears. Well, those tears hadn't been cried into that small bowl at, at each plate. It was salt water, and it's very clear. It's water mixed with a lot of salt to make it really strong. And so they're saying, this is bitter tears. They know it's not bitter tears. Jesus said, this is my body. They knew he didn't just take pieces of his own flesh and, and make it into that bread or vice versa. But he gave them that. And the wine, did, he didn't turn that wine. They had seen him pour it. He didn't turn it into literal blood. The, the, the groups that teach that, and there are a lot of groups, and there have been for centuries, a lot of groups that teach it becomes literally turned into the body or the blood of Christ. Here's the problem. When you teach that and you teach that you need to come back and get more of the body and more of the blood of Jesus Christ, what is being taught is that if you want to keep salvation, then you need more of the body and blood of Christ. The only problem with that is it flies in the face of it, contradicts what Jesus himself taught. That if we would repent and believe on him for our salvation, that he would give us a certain kind of life. Are you ready? This is an all play. What kind of life did he promise us? Eternal life. I heard three people answer yes. One more, all play. You guys get ready. So eternal means how long? Thank you very much. So Jesus gave us forever life. Why would we say, oh, but we leaked pretty badly, so we have to keep coming and getting more of that life by eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. That is not what Jesus said. When you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Not when you do this, I'll give you more and more salvation each time. See? So let's go with the Bible not our opinion or not tradition. Pastor Charlie says this very often. I've heard him over the years use this, and it has spoken so much to me. When we come to these kinds of issues, let's not process them emotionally, like what have I been taught or what do I think, but let's process that biblically. What does God's Word teach? I'm going with God's Word every time. So it's a symbolic observance. There's a second answer to that, what is communion? It's an opportunity for fellowship. Remember, Jesus said to those 12, I have earnestly desired, I have set my heart on eating this Passover with you. And I, I think still God's deep desire is when we come to this table with him, he desires for us to be at table with him. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, earlier in that same letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, that cup of blessing at the communion, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, not to bore you with it, but when you go to the Greek, the word there is koinonia, and that means fellowship or communion. How about that? Is this not the cup that we bless? Is it not communion with each other and with God in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not communion with each other and with God in the body of Christ? So it's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with other believers. 
Second question. Why do we participate in communion on a regular basis? I have six answers. Now, these aren't the only answers that could be gained from Scripture, but I think these six things answer some very important aspects of why we participate in communion. The first one is this. Very simply, this is the simplest one of all, to obey the Lord. Jesus said this. When you do this, he didn't say, hey, guys, um, you know, if you ever think of this again, and you decide it might be a cool thing to do together. That's not the way he said it. He said, when you do this. You know why? They had already been instructed for centuries. Every year we do this. But now he's saying, as often as you do it, strong implication, more often than annually at Passover, to obey the Lord. The second reason we participate in communion is to refresh our memory. We need Our memories refreshed. He said, do this. When you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember all I've done for you. Remember the transformation I've brought in your life. So we do it to refresh our memory because we're caught up in so many things of the world that distract us from that, aren't we? The third reason we participate in communion is to proclaim his salvation. See, we're saying something when we come to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. the Apostle Paul says it this way, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here it is, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaiming the Lord's death is proclaiming his death paid the price for my sin, your sin. We're proclaiming his salvation. Fourth reason is this, to demonstrate our faith. That's different than proclaiming his salvation. Here's how. We are proclaiming His salvation, but we're also saying, I believe He's the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to get every Christian and take them to live with Him forever. Whenever He comes back or when someone passes from this life into the next, the Lord has promised that He would take each believer to be with Him. He said, the Apostle Paul said, we proclaim His death until He comes. We're going to do it perpetually. Until Jesus Christ comes back, we're demonstrating our faith. Fifth thing, fifth reason, is to examine our lives. Now, this one may be a little more challenging than some of those others. To examine our lives. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says this. The Apostle Paul is still teaching that church in Corinth. He says, let a person examine himself or herself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, listen closely. There is no fear in this. This is not the examination committee of Fellowship of the Rockies examining your life or my life and saying, you're coming up a little short this month before you take communion. That's no, no judgment in this at all. That's not the design. Look at, look at what the Apostle Paul wrote under guidance of the Holy Spirit. He says, that person should examine himself or herself. You examine your life. Here's how I believe it happens. I think we open our life. And God turns on the brilliant spotlight, and then he says, Ooh, Dwayne, you missed some cobwebs and some dirt over this corner. And in this corner, you left some stuff piled up there. there, There's a Bible word for those things in in the corners and and stacked around. It's a three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. We all struggle with it. And so this becomes a time when we examine our lives before God We let him tell us what he wants. And here's the picture. It's not a judgmental. It's a very loving picture of God saying, Dwayne, 
I would love to take this out of your life if you'll allow me. Your life will be so much better. And you'll bring glory to God, and you'll be much happier. You'll have joy. You'll bring blessing to other people if you'll allow me to do that. That's examination. So we examine our lives. The last one, the sixth one, is this, to show unity. Unity with others in the body of Christ. When we come to the table with examined lives, and we're devoted to Him and loving each other, we show unity. Look at verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul is still teaching. He said, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. So those of us in this, these, this room and, and this worship time today, we are all quite different. We're very different. But he says, even though we're quite different, we are one body when we come to Jesus Christ. And so... We come together and we show each other love and unity and the world outside sees us doing those things together, loving each other, coming to the table together, and it shows unity. Third question, who should take communion? I'm asked this all the time. Hey, I don't go to your church very often. Is it okay if I take communion? So here's the answer that we, we believe is biblical. It's not just our tradition or someone's. We believe it's biblical. Who should take communion? Those who are in Christ. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is this not a participation or communion or fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a communion, fellowship, participation in the body of Christ? Now listen, who has participation or communion in the body and the blood of Christ? Those who have been born again. Those who are in Jesus Christ. Not the ones who say, I believe there's a God. Or, I believe Jesus actually lived. No, those who say, I have a sin problem and there's no other way I'll ever have forgiveness and salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. That's the person who is openly invited, not only in this church, but before the Lord, to take communion. And then another answer to that is those who are in fellowship. You see, Scripture paints a picture of believers gathering in unity, like I said earlier, in fellowship, in communion with each other, not a bunch of lone rangers, but we're in a family. Our family gets expanded when we come to Jesus Christ beyond our biological family, and we have a spiritual family then. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 10, because there's one bread, here's that part again, we who are many are one body. And when we're one body, there's fellowship and communion with each other. Now, this week, in addition to this time here in our worship service, our life groups are going to be taking communion together in homes all over the city, all over the county. So there they are, life groups, small groups of 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 people in homes around our county, and they are in unity. They're in fellowship with each other, just as we are here in a much larger group There is fellowship with each other in these times of communion. Now, we've answered what communion is, what it means, why we participate in communion, and who should participate in communion. I think with those understandings, and maybe for some it's it's a brand new understanding, just like it was for those disciples when Jesus transformed Passover, I think we're ready to come to the table of the Lord. Our servers are going to come. They'll begin preparing. 
They'll serve you. There are two cups, one on top of the other. You separate the cups, and if you'll just wait, then we'll all take communion together. One cup has the bread. One cup has the juice. And would you take advantage of this time to do that one thing that we talked about earlier, to examine yourself. Open your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord, what do you lovingly want to change in my life? And if you'll just sit silently as everyone is served and allow the Lord to speak. So in that Passover meal, Jesus took the bread of affliction and he said, this has been about the affliction of our forefathers. But now, in my body, I'll take all the affliction, all the payment for your sin. And in Luke, it tells us he blessed it, that he broke it and passed it. Let's ask him to be the one who blesses this as we take this and remember him. Lord Jesus, this bread is symbolic of your body that you gave willingly to pay the price for our sin. You gave for us. Would you bless this? And then far beyond that, would you bless us? Because of the transformation you have done in our lives. And you continually do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you eat the bread together with me? And then after the meal, Jesus took that cup of blessing, many call it, and transformed it, I believe, into the cup of redemption. Because the statement was, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm from Egypt. But I believe Jesus transformed it into, I will stretch out my arms, shed my blood, and I will redeem all who will repent and confess me as their Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your blood to cover our sins. We know that those Passover lambs were, were slain year after year after year, and they were never sufficient to forever cover sins. But you tell us, and we believe with all our heart, that your blood shed once is sufficient for every sin to be covered and cleansed. And we're so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you drink together with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please?